Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the home of common sense, the world headquarters of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You won't get it anywhere else. We've reached the end of another week, ladies and gentlemen, the dangerous world of international journalism, but there are still plenty of problems to solve. There are hundreds of illegal migrants still landing on our beaches. There are still lockdowns being imposed on countries all over Europe. There are still warnings that masks may return to our schools for our children to wear. And Meghan Markle is still on the front pages. This morning, she's been drinking milk from a baby's bottle. Another attempt to keep her privacy well guarded, of course. She's been on the Ellen DeGeneres show with about a million and a half viewers a second. So, this morning we'll be attempting to dissect the news as only we can. Why is Prishy Patel suddenly blaming the EU for the migrants' crisis? Surely she should have been doing that all along. Former Brexit Party MEP Belinda De Lucy joins me this morning with her take on the Home Secretary and the rest of the week's news. Lance Foreman is here as well, following the news that Azim Rafiq has had to apologise for writing anti-Semitic messages on his Facebook page. You'd think that it might rather water down his status as a victim, wouldn't you? 03444991000. Commentator Esther Cracker will be checking in as well with her views on all the upper over racism in cricket and the Holy Trinity Church of England Primary School in Richmond which has ditched J.K. Rowling and Churchill from its house names thanks to diversity rules. Also Dr. Sebastian Gorka will tell us why US court has blocked Joe Biden's attempts to impose a vaccine mandate and of course we want to hear from you as well. 0344 You're listening to me Mike Graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is of course Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, what a delight to be able to say I have live in the studio Belinda De Lucy, the greatest uh, former Brexit Party MEP of all time, a woman <laughs> who's, who I still look to for inspiration occasionally when I look at that great speech you made in, in the House um, uh, in the European Parliament, where you absolutely stuck it to them. I it did. It was brilliant. I did. Well, they, you lose such respect for, for the, the men and women who yes. are trying to prop up such a, a, a fake democracy. Mm. And when respect's gone, you, you do feel a little bit braver. But gosh, yes. No, I... I mean, that were those, those were tense times. But it were. doesn't feel Do like you, it's ended yet. No, it hasn't quite. Do you ever miss it? Do you ever miss the sort of the cut and thrust of all that? I, I miss the camaraderie mm. and, and also the connection with the people. And I felt the Brexit party was 
almost like a little anomaly. It was a it was a political party that had such passion, belief, and unity. Yes. I miss that because yes. I'm politically homeless now. Right. Um, but no, do I miss the EU? No, I felt really uncomfortable being in the Parliament because mm. it just felt wrong and it just felt flawed and like it was heading for disaster. Because while, while it can be interesting and kind of amusing at times to be on the wrong side of the, what they regard as history, um, and you're kind of fighting back against the dreaded tide of, of sort of you know whatever their colonialism was. Yes. Um, at the same time, when you turn around a corner and you see people who all think you're a bit of a pariah, yeah. it's quite it's quite hard to deal with. Oh, definitely, it? public enemy number one, yeah. fascists, all the rest right. of it. But but we didn't care because we just felt like we had all the millions yeah. behind us, and that's why I've got such faith in the British people. Still, I do not think we will ever let. Uh, politicians get away no. with something like that again. No, because they keep poking away, don't they? They keep sort of prodding the Northern Ireland Protocol. They keep sort of suggesting that they might kidnap some fishermen and hold us hostage yeah. and tell us that we're going to come and get your fish no matter what. Yeah, and we kept, keep threatening we to keep use going, Article yeah, yeah, 16 yeah, yeah. and Whatever. we never do. I know. Whatever. I mean, it's kind of a bit like that now, isn't it? It's like well, some kind of Harry Enfield sketch. Well, there's something... Going, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, of course you are. No, you're not going to do that, are there's you, really? a, Exactly. There's something very Napoleonic going on. He really had a love-hate relationship mm. with the UK and Macron's got that as well. He's in insanely jealous mm. of our of our strength and power and they and that we completely punch above our weight but he also hates us for it yes so that's why we're suffering all oh yeah it's a real love-hate relationship isn't it and that's the other great thing with the eu because now that we don't have to worry about what happens inside the european parliament we never go there we never talk about it really we don't ever kind of have cameras going in to see what they're up to they're literally a, sort of an entity now that nobody in this country is interested in. Yeah. And also, there's third-rate politicians, mm. most of them, so they're not very good anyway. Yeah. Um, and what's happening at the moment with, with the migrant crossings and, and France not exactly being the best, most trustworthy partner in keeping <laughs> their end enough. of the bargain. What a surprise. Well, isn't it funny that Priti Patel, only this morning on the front page of the Times, is blaming the EU for mass migration in the Channel, apparently. Uh, she's discovered that the real problem uh, is the EU's Schengen borders uh, situation. Now, Priti Patel's been home secretary for quite a long time, Time. Why is it taking her this long to work that out? No, this, is, this sounds very desperate from yeah. Pretty and, and a bit embarrassing and beneath her, to be mm. honest, because no one's buying it. One of the things about Brexit was that we, the, the, our parliament could no longer blame the EU for mm. diddly squat. Right. You know, oh, our hands are tied behind our backs. Sorry, we can't do anything about immigration because yeah. we're in the EU. No longer applies. It's 100% their responsibility. It is not France's responsibility to, to ensure our border controls no. or, to, or to ensure that p- illegal immigrants don't get through. No. It really isn't their responsibility. So presumably if you are in France and you see a whole load of sort of, you know, Calais-style camps like the jungle, you don't really want them there. So if people want to disappear off to another country, you'd probably be quite happy to go. Yeah, I mean, if it was the other way around and we had a load of immigrants in Britain who wanted to get to France, I'm sure we'd be just helping them uh, shove off, wouldn't we? I think the Brits have a really strong sense of fair play that that some of our friends on the continent don't necessarily share. And I think Macron at the moment is is really sticking it to the Brits because he knows we're a tiny little island. I mean, England, I think, fits into France about four times. Yeah. And they've got all these camps. Macron wants to get rid of them because he's playing to the nationalist lot over there for the election. And so what a way to, to stick it to us, let them all come through. Yeah. Of course, the human, the tr- human trafficking, smuggling, you know, criminals out there are having a whale of a time. They're laughing They're at They're literally at making hundreds of, of thousands of pounds a day, yeah. apparently. And our government's complicit in yeah. it. They are responsible. We're it's like them. we're offering an Uber service. The Home yeah. Office makes millions from immigration, by mm. the way. This is why governments will never reflect the electorate yeah. on immigration, because um, economically, it makes sense, but they don't care about the effect it has on communities, right. on social co- cohesion. Right. They never will. That's why Boris doesn't care. He has no political will for this whatsoever. No, because he doesn't see the size of the communities that have been affected by the numbers of people who have come here. The sheer numbers, I'm not just talking about those coming uh, on, on dinghies, I'm talking about 
illegal immigration as well. But you can't expect Britain to just continually grow without the infrastructure suffering. You know, the roads are busier now than they ever were. The trains are busy. Everything's busy. Schools are busy. People can't get doctor's appointments. They can't get dentists because there's no more room on the list, you know, because we've got about six or seven or possibly eight million more people here than we had about 10 years ago. Well, I think three million extra during just Labour's recent right. rule um, came in and uh, the Tories promised to reduce it. They haven't. And you've got to ask yourself, what happens to MPs when they get into power that they completely drop the mm. immigration thing? Right. We are not against immigration. I don't know anyone who is against immigration. No. We just want uh, to reduce it to help our infrastructure. Well, we, we, we asked for it to be controlled. Yeah, and that and it was never what has was been. the part of the uh, Tory manifesto in 2019 that everybody yeah. agreed with. Yeah. Of course you want it controlled. Like Boris Johnson said at the, the Tory party conference, we have a right to know who's coming here. We have a right to know what they're coming here to do. And we have a right to know what the history is, surely. But you saw his latest comment, I think, well, latest, it was the last week, about, oh, you know, we may, might as well give up because, really, unless the French help us, we can't do anything about it. Oh, really? It. This defeatist attitude. Give up. Give up. I, I, I thought so, you were supposed to be like Churchill. Well, so did I. don't I. remember Churchill saying, you know what? <laughs> The Nazis, let's just give up. Yeah, listen, we? it's going to happen they, anyway. You know, they keep it's blowing inevitable. up our airfields, you know, they've invaded France. We might as well just give up and let them come here. I think they've lost control over yeah. the civil service. Oh, Winston. Yeah, exactly. In 2017, they reduced the border force by thousands and thousands. Mm. They're just not interested. No. I think they just see it as a money-making. And One to be day honest, they'll get into I don't it, blame yeah. the border force because if you're in the border force, you're probably going, well, they don't really have any stomach for this anyway. They don't yeah. really want us to arrest them. They don't no. want us to detain them. They don't want us to send them back. They've even asked for a judicial review the Border Force Union, to say we don't think we should be sending them back. You're kind of going, sorry, are you <laughs> exactly. sure you're in the Border Force? You know, it's called Border Force. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of those two words should at least apply. Yeah. But the, f the funny thing is, though, that over in uh, Poland, where there's another migrant crisis on the border with Belarus, the, the EU is saying those are not proper uh, migrants, so we're not letting them in. Yeah. How does that work? It's very double standards. Um, yes. And and also they see it as, oh, Brexit is going to mess up the UK because there's going to be civil unrest with all this illegal immigration. Ha, 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 Oh, ha. really? Um, but <laughs> the, poll, the polls, <laughs> I mean, the polls and Brits should really work together. I've always envisaged them a little bit out mm. of the EU and joining yes. up with us. Well, Poland actually is probably the closest to doing that, isn't, isn't yeah. it? Because they've already had a ruling, I think, made in a Polish superior court in which they've said that Polish law oversupersedes um, EU. Law. Yeah. So the EU are kind of flapping about going, what's this? What, 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 what does this mean? You know, but, does but it you mean know. That they can leave? You, what, what, they don't have to do what we tell them? No, yeah. They don't want to take any migrants, so they're refusing the money as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's all very interesting. They're, they're inspiration, but you know the UK are helping the Polish at the moment defend their borders, yes. but they're not doing anything to our borders at all. So, and, and if Boris says he's not in control, this, control, who is in control I know. of our borders? It's quite scary mm. because it looks like no one is. But is there a solution though? Because nobody really seems to have one. I mean, we hear these ridiculous stories about, let's send them all to Rwanda and you're yes. going to go, yeah, that because that sounds like it would work well. <laughs> Albania, what are you just picking names out of a hat now? Yeah, I you think know. the further away, the better. I we think actually they, had a guy yeah. come up with a great idea who was a caller a few weeks back and he said, why don't you just put a, one of these cruise ships in the middle of the channel and you can put them on that because they're secure, they're safe. You can you can put people into cabins and you can lock them if you need to. Um, and while their applications are being processed, that's where they stay. So they don't actually sit in this country. Um, and when they, if they are refused uh, asylum, then you just sail sail them back to wherever Yeah, you know what's going to happen, Mike? The BBC will get a journalist in there mm. taking photos and filming about the terrible conditions yeah. and how awful it is and that this is against their human rights and it will close down. That's why we kind of need the offshore processing the, uh, centre far, far away. Yeah, but where, though? Uh, Timbuktu. But, but because where can you have it? 
Because what we're doing now is we're letting down genuine refugees. Mm. We're no. a generous charitable country. No. They don't get a look in. They have to stay in the camps because they don't have the mobile phones, the thousands of pounds that these young men have mm. that are escaping France. I mean, this it's They're ridiculous. all pretty well-dressed for people fleeing for their lives. Very well-dressed. You know? And it's really abusing... They stopped off at the Nike outlet <laughs> yes. uh, on the way while fleeing for their lives. Yeah, and they're all of similar age, and they're abusing the goodwill of the British people, which is actually causing resentment towards genuine refugees. So it's it's fueling division and suspicion, mm. and it's all coming from the top. And I'm sorry, but the Conservative Party are to blame. The Conservative Party have got a lot to answer for. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Belinda Lucy is here. She's a former MEP for the Brexit Party. She's got a lot of things to say about a lot of stuff... Uh, so don't go anywhere. This is, of course, Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Here till one o'clock, of course. You can watch us on TV now as well as listening to us. It's a thing of great beauty uh, that you can watch every single day, 24-7. Belinda Lucy is here with us, former MEP. Actually, I was going to ask you about the, the European Parliament. You know, we've had this big to-do here about second jobs, and Boris yeah. virtuously came out on Monday, or Tuesday, I think yeah. it was, saying, oh, no, we know more second jobs. Which is, like most of his ideas is now just run into the dust yeah. and everyone's gone. Well, you can't really do that. Yeah. So it's like just, a three-minute wonder. Just don't mention that anymore. <laughs> but it sounded good on Tuesday night. Did, did they, Was there a rule about second jobs in Brussels? I think we were. We had so much money thrown at us. I was going to say um, corruption is probably corru- I mean, compulsory like, there, is it? You could make hundreds of thousands being an MEP off the taxpayer and this mm. is why it was just so revolting the whole thing because they bribed you yeah. to love the eu i right. mean we it was we got paid far more than mps that's why i actually think we need to pay our mps more mm. and and stop all the brightest going off for you know better jobs in the city because right. we actually need i think a little bit of a increase in intellectual but isn't the problem now though that if you are a success in the city or you're mm. a successful person in any walk of life now the money the rewards are so much bigger than they can ever be in, in sort of, you know, as, as an MP. I mean, I know where I, could, I was going to say in the public sector, but I mean, there are people making, you know, large six-figure sums working for councils. Um, but I just don't think you can compete, can you? I mean, if you're going to get a big job with somebody like Deutsche Bank, yeah. um, you know, nobody in Westminster can pay you that kind of money. No, it's true. Although I think that British MPs are, are paid the least mm. um, across Europe and the Western world, or at least partly, uh, yeah. uh, definitely at the bottom of the rung mm. compared to most... Uh, politicians and elected yeah. representatives. So I do feel I do feel they need a little bit, you know, of of, of an increase because they deserve it. It has to reflect the responsibility well, and I the was, responsibility. Oh yeah, I mean, my view was it's all about time for me. It's not necessarily. I mean, you know, if, if Sir Geoffrey Cox is, is clever enough to make millions of pounds yeah. from the Virgin Islands by doing, you know, two seconds work, great, good luck to him. But if he's spending more, more than half the week doing it, then I don't think that's I agree. right. And I that's agree. kind of where I think the crux yeah. of it should be. So increase it a bit, but then they have to. But they have to. Yeah, but if it is a second job, it can't be something they spend more time on than being an MP. Because it's not as if the MPs. I know that they'll always say, "Oh, but we do a lot of constituency work." They have a lot of time off. They have have a lot lot of of recesses. And I don't mind if they're doctors, nurses, firemen, all that. I think that really adds to the job. Mm. But but not second jobs as lobbyists or uh, any of that stuff. That doesn't. No, no, that really doesn't wash. Let's talk a bit about (laughs) Boris Johnson though, because (laughs) Boris was the man, wasn't he? Two thousand nineteen. Everybody wanted to see him in because one, they couldn't stand the thought of Jeremy Corbyn becoming prime minister. Thank God. Um, but number two, he seemed to be this go-getter. He seemed to have fresh ideas. He seemed to be entertaining. You know, he, he took politics uh, with a pinch of salt because he seemed to have the common touch 
I don't know where all that's gone. No. Where's it all gone? He's sort of gone from that big genie all the way down to an itty bitty little like genie lamp. And now we just it, wish it, he'd it, never come out of the bottle. I think so. I had such high hopes as well mm. because he. I mean, we stood down, um, you know, candidates so he could get into power as well. We had he stuck it to the establishment yeah. back then, and now he's like lying down in bed with them again. Yeah. I don't know what's happened, and I think he's this whole green revolution thing has has sort of warped his mind. It really and has. It's disconnected him from all the sort of working class or or just normal. Yeah. Brits on the street. Well, I mean, all the people up in the red wall seats who, who voted for him, maybe for the first time, some of the mining communities that, that were closed down by Margaret Thatcher, suddenly voting Tory. It's an extraordinary thing. But they're all saying now, we don't want this. Yeah. You know, I'm not sorry. I'm not able to put a heat pump in my house because actually <laughs> I live in a terraced house and I don't really have much of a garden. And also, I don't happen to have 18 grand sitting in the bank. Yeah. I mean, what's he thinking? I think if the if the wealthy want to tackle climate change, it should be left to the wealthy. Yeah. I think it's their business. The if idea they feel they're going to put on the poor you know, is, is disgusting. Yeah, if some millionaire living in Putney yeah. feels guilty about flying to the Seychelles with his family, then let him pay a massive amount of carbon tax if he wishes. Because uh, I see you know. none of them living in tents and, and no. getting their water from streams. No. So none of them are practising what they preach. No. They have to stop telling people poorer than themselves to take the burden of their little middle-class mm. guilt trips. And also, how arrogant of the West to say to people who live in countries which are not as well-off as us, to say, well, you know what, what, here's some money, we'll just give you some money, and you just don't bother developing any further. <laughs> so don't get a fridge, you can't yeah. have a car, you know, I really don't think you should have an air conditioner, just deal with the heat like you used to, sit yeah. there sweating. You know, I'm just ridiculous. I know, I know. I don't know what's happened. I'm really sad about Boris. I mean, I used to have a bit of a crush on Boris back when he was mayor of London. I thought he was a bit Well, you weren't the only one. No. (laughs) Apparently there was a whole queue of them. Oh, there was, yeah. You got through most of them. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, anyway. Sorry, (laughs) Jennifer. Did did you ever spend time with him? I I don't mean that in in a biblical sense. No, I I know you didn't mean it in a biblical sense. But no, I didn't. But I did uh, did mention on social media media long before I went into politics so oh you know I really like Boris I, I, I want I want to have his babies yeah. you know when you do when you're right. in your 20s right. just just because he sounded so clever mm. and I didn't go to a school where people spoke like that right. and when he started talking Greek mythology and stuff yeah. I was like swoon and now he's kind of a bit of a, a wet damp rag yes and I don't know where and the he's sort Boris of past his sell-by date isn't he yes and when and I'm Carrie has kind of ruined him so I mean it's like the final act isn't it in the play yes where he finally meets a woman who he can't leave because He's stuck in Downing Street. He's got security people all over him. You know, she's not letting him out of her sight, as you can imagine. Yes. He's got two little kids crawling around, or another one on the way. Yes. He's got no hope. I mean, I said this the other week. Normally, when, you know, when, he, when he said that thing at the climate yeah. conference, he said it's a minute to midnight. So that was normally when he was putting his trousers on and going home. Yes. You know, <laughs> but not anymore. But people love charisma, and people love someone attractive in power. Mm. I mean, he was so different from all the grey suits, but it was it was reported, I think it was reported last night, that he had said uh, he was suffering from buyer's remorse. With <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's going to get you into trouble. Although I have to say, my husband does introduce me to, to people as, oh, this is my current wife. And yes. I, don't, I don't know whether... Yeah. You know, it's really funny. It's, it could be a joke. I would imagine be... he could say that in certain certain yeah. company, but not if she's with him. Well, this is what I'm I thinking. I think you're a swift kick in the shins. Who did say it to? That's yes, exactly right. Talking of, of uh, families and children and all that, I mean, you've got daughters, obviously. They're yes. still in school, I guess, aren't yes. they? They're yeah. not quite all out of the system yet. Are you seeing the story today? They're saying that councils have apparently now been given some super rights over Parliament so that they can now reimpose, if they wish, a series of um, restrictions on schools, including making them all wear masks again. 
oh, councils and their power trips I, and children suffering for it. Oh, my God, I can't bear it. Mm. I mean, I, my, ch I don't wear, my children don't wear masks. The school recommend it in certain areas. I'm like, girls, mm. if you don't want to wear them, don't wear them because right. we're creating habits yes. and bad habits with children. So when masks are finally you know, thrown in the bin, children will still wear them because yeah. it's become part of their life. They don't need to wear masks. We've all pretty much been double jabbed, whoever's vulnerable. Yeah. Let Live and let live, mm. you know, I think. Well, look at Austria. Austria decided to make this ridiculous ruling that if you are unvaccinated, you have to stay home. Oh. Well, it didn't work. No. So now they're having a lockdown anyway. It is power trips, Mike. Yeah. There's no sense or evidence behind it. The domestic mm. vaccine passports, I can't see any good reason to have them targeting children for the vaccine and making them wear masks. There's no reason. Yeah. So we we just have to resist and say no, because councils, with, with a bit of extra money, they do like their badges and they their do. little marches. And I mean, they're always telling us they don't have any money, but I don't know where they keep getting these initiatives from if they haven't got any money. Because again, they've only got money because we keep giving it to them. Yeah. Um, and they're always threatening to shut down libraries and things. And I'm going, well... you but you never do, though. They no. don't do it, do they? No, no. They just keep it for their little badges mm. and, and telling children what to do. I, my children won't be wearing them. And, I, and I, I don't care if I get into trouble for that. But you've got to... There has to be some point parents say, no, this yes. isn't about COVID anymore. Right. It's got nothing to do with COVID. Well, do you know, this one of the most control. ludicrous situations that I came across this week or last week, actually, was um, uh, one of my kids' schools said, if you've got a cold, you must come to school. And you're going... Sorry, I thought it was the other way around. I thought if you had a cold, you shouldn't come to school. Oh, no, 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 because you've missed so much school that you really shouldn't be missing it if it's just a cold. And you go, well, you're sending people home who haven't got COVID just because they were sitting in a room with somebody who had COVID, even though they haven't really got it very badly. See, but, exactly. Education's getting right. hammered. These kids, I don't know how they're going to do in their exams. Not only that, the obesity crisis mm. that's already hitting us. And it's not just about, oh, let's get kids fit. Again, they're in a habit now, just sitting on the sofa on their own, yeah. uh, hour after hour on their phone. Not and, doing and very much. Not doing very much. Yeah. So it's only going to get worse. I, they need to leave children alone or parents are going to start getting really angry. Yeah. Children have nothing to do with COVID. They really don't. And there was another story yesterday in which it said that, and I think this was the new version of NHS England or whatever it is, uh, or Public Health England. They're now saying, if you've had COVID and you're a, ch a child of 12 or 13, you should wait about three months before you get vaccinated. And I'm no. like, well, why would you get vaccinated? <laughs> If you've had it, why? It's, it's, well, I phoned my doctor up. My kids had COVID again uh, about six weeks ago. Right. And I phoned my doctor up and I was like, right, this is the second time they've had tested positive for COVID. I really don't need this vaccine stuff, do I? Mm. And the doctor said, of course not. Actually, it's better for a child to catch it yeah. naturally. And were they okay? And uh, I mean, one was, yeah, I had a little trouble, but that was 24 hours. And mm. then everyone else just seemed a bit coldy. Yeah. Um, but I've had far, far worse experiences with children in the flu yeah. and long term you know, uh, symptoms from the flu, mm. tiredness and all the rest of it. So, I, oh, I, I mean, know. a really bad flu will knock you out for about a month. Totally. You know? It's so weird, though, all this targeting children. I don't understand I don't it. get it. And I, every time I ask anyone why is this happening, nobody really knows. No, all the old people are vaccinated, mm -hmm. all the vulnerable are vaccinated. Yeah. If you want a booster because you feel scared, have one. If you don't, don't. Let's crack on. Yeah. Absolutely. No one's talking about COVID in my social circles anymore. It's like yesterday's news, mm. but the government keep wanting to make yeah. it a thing in our lives to be scared of. I wonder I know. why. I wonder why too. Well, listen, delightful <laughs> to see you, Belinda. Thank you very much indeed. A great way to start a Friday morning show. Uh, Belinda and Lucy there telling us about all manner of things, including what it was like to work in the EU, uh, inside the belly of the beast, if you like, the dark side. Uh, we are, of course, here at Talk Radio, the home of common sense, and we are shining a light on all of that nonsense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Right now, though, uh, let's catch up with Lance Foreman, uh, former MEP, businessman, of course, as well, because the cricketing story uh, has been going on pretty much all week. We haven't really talked much about the cricketing story involving uh, Azim Rafiq, who's been accusing Yorkshire cricket uh, of some pretty nasty racism and some nasty racist kind of uh, incidences that he's been involved in over the course of time. But it turns out uh, that yesterday it was revealed that he himself, in fact, had been guilty of anti-Semitism because he wrote um, and had an exchange on his Facebook page with a friend uh, all about um, various matters to do with making fun of Jewish people. Now, uh, he says, I've no excuses, I'm ashamed and have now deleted it so as not to cause further offence. I was 19 at the time and hope and believe I'm a different person today. And he then says, and he goes on to say, at no point will I ever try and defend the indefensible. For those I have hurt, I am sincerely sorry. I'll continue to front up and own any more mistakes I have made. Trouble is, it does tend to rather weaken his argument, does it not, about the fact that he was a victim of racial abuse. Let's talk to Lance, because the problem here for me as well is not so much about this individual, but it's about why people are still so anti-Semitic. Lance, a very good morning to you. Uh, Very good morning to you as well, Mike. Thanks for joining us, Lance. I mean... Obviously, this is something which you've spoken out about in the past. Um, There is still, notwithstanding what goes on inside of the Labour Party and with Jeremy Corbyn and all of those people who are associated with him, there is still, as we saw just recently at the LSE, an incredible amount of of what I see as is incredibly nasty, nasty anti-Semitic behaviour, anti-Semitic sloganeering, anti-Semitic texts and tweets and that kind of thing. Why is it still going on? (sighs) Well, anti-Semitism is the oldest uh, form of racism. It's the most ancient uh, prejudice that exists in humanity. It's been going on for 3,000 years. You know, we we can't just assume that, you know, post-Holocaust, that's the end of it. Uh, The Jews survived, so there will be Jew haters, I guess. Um, And, you know, it comes from certainly in the UK. I mean, it is is a global phenomena, um, but it comes from three main areas or has done historically, usually from extremes. So, you know, know, in the the mid 20th century, it came from the extreme right, from the fascists, but it's equally come from the extreme left, you know, the Marxists and so on. It's, we're seeing it very much amongst the left um, in the the UK and the Corbynites and, and so on. But, but also uh, one of the main sources of it is from um, Islamism. And um, Mehdi Hassan, you know, well-known journalist himself said a few years ago that um, um, anti-Semitism in the, Mus- in the Muslim community in the UK is, and these are his words, not mine, he said, it is our dirty little secret. Mm. Now, the thing is, you know, for... You know, we just heard, you know, he, he was 19 when when he said this. Now, why would any 19-year-old kid suddenly have a prejudice against Jews? Yeah. You know, he might never have met a Jew. It's because that's what he would have heard in his community. Yeah. And so th- there, there is anti-Semitism within uh, the Muslim community in the UK. We saw it, you know, terribly this summer, you know, those uh, those convoys of cars going around Jewish areas in North London shouting, we want to rape your your wives and murder them and, you know, your daughters and so on. It it is there. um, You're seeing it hugely on campus. It's very, very difficult for young Jewish students now on campus at university. Mm. Um, A lot of them, you know, they don't want to wear their little Star of David necklaces or wear their, uh, you know, for the more religious ones, wear their skull caps. Yeah. They shouldn't have to, you know, in today's world, we shouldn't right. have to be hiding this. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And um, so 
it's unfortunate for what happened yesterday. It is embarrassing. Um, you know, it does devalue his argument to some extent. I think, I think it what, does. It, it does devalue it. But, you know, and especially as he didn't admit to it, uh, you know, he didn't come out with it himself. And he didn't sort of say, look, I understand what racism is all about. I've been through it myself. You know, when I was a kid, I, I felt that way. But, you know, I've gone over. It was only because he was found out that he had to apologise. Yes. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, the sad thing about all this is, of course, there will be, you know, racists out there and, you know, Islamophobic racists out there who will be laughing today. Mm. And they shouldn't be laughing. You know, they shouldn't be getting the last laugh on all this. Racism is is a bad thing wherever it is. You mm. know, if it's you know, anti-Muslim, anti-Jewish, anti-whatever creed you are. Yeah. It's just a really bad thing. And we should, you know, we should all be fighting against it. No, I think that's right. I mean, I was having a conversation about this very subject yesterday uh, after this revelation came out. And we were both saying, you know, we're both men of a certain age. We've worked in Fleet Street. You know, we've been in various situations where things have been said. And, and we were both of the opinion that now in this day and age, there are things that you just wouldn't, even if you thought them, you wouldn't say them because society has moved on. And I find it staggering, really, that we are still seeing so many high-profile incidences of it. It, it is, I mean, it, it is almost like a throwback to the sort of 70s. Think, you know, yes. how on earth did anyone say anything like that? I mean, it's just, it, it does seem odd, given all the sort of the woke language nowadays, and, you know, you can't use words with man in them or, right. you know, it, it, just, it, it does seem bizarre this is happening. But it is going on, you know, under the radar, yeah. and, and that's really where we need to stop it. And and with anti-Semitism, in, in actually many times it's it's over the radar. You know, last week we we saw the the Israeli ambassador uh, coming, you know, under you know that was unbelievable at the university on the college on the campus. It was outrageous. No other ambassador in the world faces that. And you know, anti anti-Zionism is the new form of anti-Semitism. Mm. You know, Israel, you know, what, what is it again? What is ridiculous about the anti-Semitism within the Muslim community in the UK is that that does not necessarily exist anymore in the Middle East. Yeah. Israel itself has made peace agreements in the last, you know, uh, 18 months with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain, yes. with Morocco, with Sudan. They are forming peace agreements. Arabs living in Israel have more freedoms than any other Arab country in the Middle mm. East. You know, Israel is the most diverse and tolerant place. They have, you know, Muslim parties in their shared in their government at the moment. Yeah. But we still have these pockets of it in the UK, and you know how we get rid of that. I don't. I don't know. But we, we need to. And um, maybe our cricketer friends, you know, having you know having been through this, maybe he could be, um, you know, an ambassador. Uh, going around saying, look, you know, com convincing his or, t you know, preaching to his own community that this is a really yeah. bad thing. But I'm it. always a bit wary of that sort of thing as well, though, Lance, because, you know, rather like um, uh, when uh, I talked about Prince Harry, you know, I wasn't the one who dressed up as a Nazi. I wasn't the one that called um, a fellow officer at Sandhurst the P word, but he wants to preach tolerance to me. And I'm like, well, I wasn't the one that did that in the first place. So I don't really need to be taught any lessons by you who uh, seem to think was... that that was quite a good idea. We all do stupid things when we're young. Yeah, you know, but, there, but there's a difference between stupid things and, and idiotic things, isn't there? <laughs> well, if everyone, everyone draws the line somewhere. But, you know, we do do stupid things and we grow up and, and we learn from our experiences and we learn from other people. And, you know, I don't think we should just write off everybody because they do make a mistake. And 
But, you know, by all accounts, I, I didn't actually hear the apology uh, yesterday, but by all accounts, uh, most of the, you know, sort of the leaders and the voices of, of the Jewish community in London said that, you know, it sounded like a sort of fulsome apology and yeah. it didn't sound like he really means it. But, you know, let's go further. You know, he should be preaching to his own community. Um, you know, from his, you know, the fact that he has suffered racism himself, he really does understand it. And if, you know, if, if that's what he believes, there is anti-Semitism mm. in the Muslim. You know, a few years ago, there were a few people trying to sort of push me to sort of consider standing for mayor of London, mm. actually. Um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before. So uh, breaking There breaking we are. Music, okay. Like, I decided not to do well, it. Well, I wish you had, but, if you'd meant Sadiq Khan didn't get in. Well, a few people, a few people <laughs> pushing me uh, to, you know, saying, you know, I should put, you know, think about putting my name forward. And I spoke to a, a very close uh, Muslim friend of mine, and she said to me, you do not stand a chance. She said that the Muslim vote um, is tribal. Mm. If they knew your views, you know, supporting Israel, you wouldn't stand a hope in, a hope in hell. Now, that's, you know, that's sad and it's crazy. Not that, it doesn't sound know, terribly democratic either. It anyway, doesn't but, sound um, very democratic either, does it? Yeah, we, we, we need to, you know, we do need to change. You know, you know we, all this talk of a tolerant society... Let's actually, you know, let's walk the walk rather than talk yeah. the talk. Let's be the to that tolerant society. Right. There is a lot, you know, and I'm not saying it goes on absolutely everywhere. There's a lot of interfaith dialogue that goes on, um, you know. you know. So there are some really good people sort of pushing for sort of, you know, tolerance and understanding. And, and that's great. And they, you know, and they mean it. And it is, you know, genuinely sort of heartfelt and so on. But still under the surface, there is a lot of sort of, you know, intolerance. And, and that comes through what, you know, kids are taught and mm. the language they hear from their parents and older generations. So just because you're 19, um, that doesn't, ex you know, it might excuse you at 19, but it doesn't excuse where you heard it from. No, exactly right. And you would like to think, because this is not really a sports story, and there's no point in pretending that this only happens in the sporting arena because it happens to be very kind of Absolutely. generally generally testosterone-fueled and probably a little bit toxic as well. I mean, at the end of the day, cricket particularly is a, is a multinational game and goes to every single part of the world practically where there are different religions. You would think that as representatives of that sport... That would be a good place to start with tolerance, wouldn't it? Um, well, you'd think so, but uh, you know, again, there's so much hypocrisy in well, in sport as much as anything else. You know, uh, there's there's all, all the discussions at the moment about you know whether football should be in Qatar, and you know, six thousand people died building that stadium mm. where they're going to be playing football. You know, the slavery and so yeah. on, and. You know, and here we're all taking the knee and trying to be tolerant and woke and so on. And, and yet we're happy to go to a country which uh, which is, you know, at the other end of the scale mm. when it comes to sort of tolerance. And the sort well, of even more bizarrely, we, we I, I, was, by I was rather surprised. I don't know whether you saw this, but there was an MP's um, sort of um, delegation that went over to Qatar, which actually included Sir David Amos shortly before he was killed, um, but also included Chris Bryant from the Rhonda Valley Labour Party uh, man who's very outspoken about gay rights, but he seems to think it's OK to have the Qatar World Cup in Qatar. Well, you know, money talks. There's a huge <laughs> amounts of outpourings of cash that come from Qatar and, uh, you know, suddenly uh, people may have standards here, but they suddenly have different standards mm. when, uh, when large sums of uh, cash are involved. 
And of course, their argument is always, well, you know, if, if we want these people to be more tolerant, we have to show them the way. Mm. So that's their, that's their sort of, that's how they uh, sort of get over their consciences that we're actually doing good. And, you know, maybe to some extent we are doing good. You know, I think it was a huge surprise coming back to what I was saying earlier. I think it was a, a huge surprise to, to many people across the globe. Um, what happened with those Abraham Accords that suddenly, you know, there's a love in, a huge love in between uh, the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Yeah. And um, it's it's just quite incredible what's going on. You know, I've seen sort of videos of, you know, Arab, you know, Emiratis sort of, you know, you know, they're going to supermarkets now, they're seeing Israeli food promotions. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 I've seen videos where they're saying, we really, we never even knew about the Holocaust. Mm. We thought it was a, you know, we thought it was a lie. We were never sort of educated about it. And, and it, you know, so much of this does come down to education and what people are being taught in yeah. schools. And if, if people aren't being taught hatred, there's, you know, there's much more chance that actually, well, that's, you know, people will live that, in peace. But, but that's also true of, 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 of international relations, isn't it? You know, the more trade there is, the more open borders there are in terms of who meets whom, how less isolationist you are, the better it all is, really. I, yeah, I do tend to think that positive engagement is, is, is always a good thing. You learn about people and how they behave and you realise actually they're just like us, mm. you know, and when people, when you realise that people are just like you and we are, we're all humans, you know, we all bleed red blood, you know, we, we are, you know, innately the same people. And, you know, again, Abraham Accords, we are all children of Abraham, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, we are all children of that same father. Mm. Uh, and so, yes, maybe, you know, 3,000 years on, there's the you know, sibling rivalry hasn't gone away, but, you know, ultimately, you know, we, we're all humans and we have the potential to get on, but, uh, you know, I think change change has to happen, you know, educational level in the homes as well, just, you know, in, in the culture. And, you know, Rafiq has, um, you know, he, he's, you know, he has a great opportunity now to actually, you know, having been through what he's been through, he has a great opportunity to actually use that in a positive way. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and educate people because, you know, it, it is needed. There mm. is, there is a very, you know, anti-Semitism in the UK is worse than it's been since any time I can remember. Mm. You know, I'm almost 60 years old now. I don't remember it being as bad as this. And, you know, lots of our, you know, kids in the Jewish community, you know, are really, you know, genuinely thinking, do I have a future here? Should I leave? In France, uh, many Jewish people have left. I think 100,000 have left France to go and live in Israel. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, people are concerned about it. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, they shouldn't be. Yes. Not no. in today's day and age. Absolutely right. Lance, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Lance Foreman, their former MEP, businessman, of course, as well, making a great deal of sense about all of this uh, and this whole situation. I don't think uh, Azim Rafiq has done himself any favours, uh, but he has apologised. The whole issue of racism in the Yorkshire cricket uh, world obviously will rumble on. Um, but in the end, um, perhaps Lance is right. Perhaps what he needs to do now uh, is actually preach more tolerance and preach more uh, about why he shouldn't be a racist if he wants to accuse other people of being racist because otherwise the media gets stuck in uh, becomes a kind of a blood fest and nobody really wins and it makes out that everybody is somehow guilty of something doesn't it life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Dr. Tony Hinton, consultant surgeon, of course, who's got decades of experience working in the NHS. Tony, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, a couple of things to mention first up. Yesterday, I saw a story on the front page of The Telegraph in which um, somebody that I'd never heard of called the UK um, Health something or other uh, is now calling for kids who are 12 and 13 to be vaccinated three months after catching the, uh, the virus. If they've had coronavirus, they should still get vaccinated, but they should wait three months. I don't understand why they would want anyone to do that. Well, it was what used to be called Public Health England. Yes. And their reputation became so bad, they changed the name. But it'll be essentially all the same people that are running it. Yes. Um, so it's a bit of a sort of a smoke and mirrors, really. Yeah, it's a bit like calling, calling a Vauxhall um, um, an Opal and selling it in Germany, isn't it? Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there's two things about this three-month um, gap. It's actually the same as the gap that they've brought in now for the second dose of the vaccine um, for for 16 and 17-year-olds that have so far only been allowed to have one dose. They can now have two, but they have to wait for 12 weeks. And the reason for that is that um, the JCVI have assessed that they think the risk of things like myocarditis will be less if they extend the gap between the vaccinations. Mm. And I think it's the same logic, although I don't quite agree with the logic, for those that have had COVID. You don't want to have the vaccination closer than 12 weeks to when you've had the COVID. What I would argue is that if you've had the COVID, why do you need the vaccination at all? All You've already got better immunity than from the vaccination. 
Well, they're still very reluctant to talk about immunity from having the from from actually having the disease, aren't they? Because I did ask Sajid Javid this. I'm not, I'm not sure if you and I have spoken since I spoke to him, and he started banging on about how it was difficult to measure immunity from actually getting COVID because it depended on the viral load that people had got, and some people would therefore be more immune than others depending on how serious it was that their infection had become. Is that true? Well, he was spouting out loads of stuff, but he didn't actually answer the question. True. Well, I think he thought by just talking a lot, he didn't need to answer the question. <laughs> well, but I mean, it didn't sound very convincing, is all I can say. No. Well, what I would say is that they've no way to measure the um, immunity after vaccination. Mm. They vaccinate people. They assume that they're immune and give them a vaccine passport, that they're allowed to do certain things, mm. on the assumption that everyone that's vaccinated has become immune. And actually, that's not the case. There'll be many people that have been vaccinated that have not built up immunity. Right. Equally, many people that haven't been vaccinated have got very good immunity because they've had COVID. Right. And it can be tested. It can be tested in two ways. It can be tested by antibody tests. Now, antibodies will gradually wane over time. That doesn't mean your immunity has waned. If you think about it, each time we get an infection, your body fights that off and it produces some antibodies. Yeah. If that amount of antibodies stayed in your bloodstream from every infection you ever had, your blood would eventually become like concrete. It would be just full of ants. Sorry to mention concrete. It would <laughs> Don't be worry. Just... It's my favourite word. <laughs> it, it, your blood would get thicker and thicker and thicker. So most of the antibodies are taken out of your system, just a few remain, and then the memory of how to make those antibodies is kept in your white blood cells, mm. your B cells and your T cells. So there are also tests of T cell immunity. So there are good tests that you can check people's immunity. Yeah. But why do you think they're so unkeen, if you like, for want of a better word, to do it with antibody testing because so many people have said antibody testing is the way forward for care homes it's the way forward for hospitals yeah. it's the way forward for venues perhaps as well if you haven't got a vaccine passport and they're asking for one if you can show that you've got uh, immunity then what's the problem well i think to start off with they just wouldn't admit that there was such a thing as as immunity to covid that you could catch mm. that you that you could acquire by catching covid I mean, if that was true, well, it's the first disease in the world where that's the case. Mm. Um, it's totally against all sort of biology and medical knowledge. And I think what they were trying to do is they were trying to push the vaccinations and I suppose keep it simple rather than having some people that were testing and didn't need it and it would have made the, it would have made the whole thing more complex to do. Mm. But I think actually the aim was not so much to get the vaccinations I think myself, the aim is more to get the vaccine passport. And I think the aim of that is to use it for other things. It's basically a digital ID. It's what Tony Blair tried to bring in many years ago and mm. didn't succeed. And he's yeah. very keen on this. Well, that's interesting you say that because today there's a story suggesting that the, the vaccine uh, app or the NHS app will now show proof of a third booster so that that will be recorded. And I can't help but think that uh, at some point or other, uh, there will be people who uh, who need to go to several countries around the world and who will be told fully vaccinated now means three, not two. Yeah, in a way, that's not really 
in the UK's gift. It depends on the country that you're going to. And I suppose each country is free to make its own rules for who visits that country. Yes, but no, I, I agree. And I, for, and I, for one, am slightly more tolerant of that than anything they want to do here, because obviously if, if you know, I've got to go to America to see my, my mother, if they demand certain things that I must do, then I must do them, otherwise I'm not going. And I have to make that choice, and that's fair enough. But if they're going to say to me, you need to have this before you can go down the pub, I'm not going to be very keen on that. Absolutely. There is, there is a complete difference in what things you might have to show to go to certain countries. So, for instance, um, for a long time now, there are certain countries where you have to have a yellow fever vaccination. Mm, right. And if you don't have that and show it when you arrive, then you're not allowed in. Yeah. But the vaccine passports, the domestic vaccine passports, are completely unnecessary they're completely illogical because I think pretty much everybody now admits you can still catch COVID, you can still pass it on if you've been vaccinated. Actually, if you've previously had COVID, your chance of catching COVID and passing it on a second time is not quite zero, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I think so. And as far as the whole business of, of the European lockdowns is concerned, I mean, two things are quite puzzling for me at the moment. One is Gibraltar, uh, where apparently they've got rising cases, despite the fact that I think practically everyone there has been vaccinated. Secondly, in Austria, where they told everyone who was not vaccinated to stay home, that clearly hasn't worked. And so therefore their cases are still rising as well. Is there any reason for us to be uh, in any way worried about that rise in infections or is it simply more people testing positive? I think a lot of it is people testing positive and too much testing being done of people that don't even have any symptoms. Right. Really, there aren't any other infectious diseases where we keep testing people repeatedly for things they have no symptoms mm. for. I think some of those European countries very much suppressed some of the previous waves. I think the advantage we have in the UK now is not so much the vaccines, although it may stop very elderly, very elderly, very ill people getting bad enough they go to hospital and die, mm. which is obviously a great thing. Right. But I think it's the it's the natural immunity that has developed in the UK because lots of people have caught COVID. So London, for instance, has one of the lowest levels of vaccinations, the highest level of natural infections, people having caught COVID. And it's got very low cases relative to the rest of the country now. And it's the natural immunity that's important. Mm. Eventually, everyone will catch COVID. It's not possible to avoid it. Yeah. Well, that's um, what we were told right at the beginning. Even Chris yes. Whitty said, and for most people, it will not be a very serious illness. And it's not. Yeah. Well, it isn't. And yet, here we, here we have this kind of hysteria driven largely by politicians, not by doctors, about what they think they can do to stop it. Uh, and as somebody's just pointed out to me on Twitter, if none of the other lockdowns worked, what makes them think these will? I think it's it's politicians, I would say, um, not standing up to certain sections of the media. Mm. Whenever you watch any of those Downing Street press conferences, the vast majority of the questions are, uh, should you not have locked down earlier? Oh, I know. Should we not be locking down now? Should we not bring masks back? Um, but they seem to be totally obsessed with pushing this sort of lockdown agenda. And when you look around the world, you know, some of the most lockdown 
countries wearing masks with all the vaccine passports and stuff are those European countries where now all the cases are going up. The lockdowns do not stop that. No. It, it's a virus. The virus will do what the virus does until enough people are naturally immune, I'm afraid. And that is exactly right. And when we keep hearing from Boris Johnson and the likes of him and his cabinet saying we've got to learn to live with it, do you think they actually mean that? Because, I mean, at least we are so far uh, uh, being spared any further restrictions and people seem to be enjoying a relatively normal life in most places in this country so far. I mean, I just don't think people want to go backwards. I think certainly in England, things are relatively normal, aren't they? But if you look at um, Scotland, Wales, and now Northern Ireland, they've all passed some form of vaccine passport. And when you look at it, none of it's to do with anything medical. It's all political. So if you look, for instance, the last couple of days when this was passed in Northern Ireland, and you look at how the vote went, well, the vote was basically pro-vaccine passports, for the people that want to have the United Ireland. And that's a perfectly respectable thing to want. Uh, and it's what they've got in Southern Ireland. The people that voted against were those that want to stay part of the United Kingdom. When you look in Scotland, it's the SNP pushing this agenda. Mm. When you look in Wales, it's the Labour Party. Hopefully, with a Conservative, what we think is a Conservative government in the UK, who only govern the rules for England on COVID, mm. not the whole of the UK, um, we can hold out and not have vaccine passports. Mm. I mean, they've been holding out since the 19th of July, and I think Boris would be very uncomfortable with that. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, so as far as this wave is concerned, I mean, I got a, I mentioned this to somebody the other day, I got a text from Ipsos Mori asking me to take part in some um, new swab test uh, survey that they were doing to try and see if there were any new variants coming into the country, almost like as if with glee they were hoping there might be some new variants. Is this uh, new rate rise in infections in, in Europe? Is that, is that any kind of new variant or not? Not as well. There are, there are thousands of new variants every day. Mm. And in fact, when someone catches COVID even, they will have different variants of that in their bodies. Why some are particularly picked out to be named and pushed in the media, um, they always seem to come at an opportune time um, when people want to bring in some sort of restrictions. Um, but I, th I think basically what's happening in Europe is they're having some of the catch-up to get their natural immunity that in the UK we pretty much already have. So I don't think there will be a huge wave coming up to the UK from Europe. Right. Because I think we've already had those waves. Well, exactly right. And in terms of how it's going at the moment, I mean, we're in November. Um, uh, unbelievably, I think it's the 18th or the 19th of November today. Uh, so it's nearly December. I mean, this time last year, we were actually locked down, weren't we? Yeah. And, and, and if you look, for instance, at the numbers of uh, admissions to hospital and people in hospital with COVID, they're approximately half of what they were this time last year. Right. And you have to remember, when they talk about COVID admissions... It's anyone that comes into hospital and has a positive COVID test. Only about 60% of those are patients with COVID symptoms. The other 40% are people with 
hernias, broken legs, diabetes gone out of control, who just happened to test positive with no COVID symptoms whatsoever. Mm. So the figures are always inflated anyway. So at the moment, hospitals aren't struggling with COVID. They're struggling maybe because of the backlog from lockdowns. They're struggling because of this um, very unwise decision to start sacking care home staff. So it's getting difficult to discharge patients from hospital to care homes. Those are the problems the NHS has got at the moment. Well, that's right. And let's go back with GPs for the second as well, because apparently there's been another government climb down. You know how they were going to tell GPs if they were making more than 150,000 quid, they'd have to publish the details of how they were doing that. Now they don't have to, apparently, uh, because it's been deferred until the spring while the BMA promised industrial action. I wonder why. Well, I have to come clean here, Mike, and admit I'm all for doctors being paid well. So am I. And... And we do have a real big problem in general practice. Um, Many doctors are retiring early, and those are our most experienced doctors that can get on and see patients quickly. They don't do as many investigations and tests as some of the younger doctors coming through because they've got more experience. And at the other end of the pipe, there aren't enough trainees that want to come in to general practice because they don't see as attractive enough i'll tell you a story from a um, a gp in a very very nice part of london near where i live mm. and he said 15 years ago they would have advertised for a partner and they would have had 200 applicants now they advertise and they're lucky if they get two really no one wants to be a partner no one wants to be even a salary gp paid by the partnership they just want to come as a locum. Mm. And but do is that the not they want? But is that not, not partly is that not partly, Tony, because being paid as a locum is much more lucrative? It, it well it, it's well actually I would say it's you don't get so much of the bureaucracy mm. and hassle. There is so much form filling. Yeah. You know, every doctor goes to medical school because they want to treat and help patients. They don't go because they want to become a bureaucrat. Mm. Let me just give you another example. My own medical secretary, her mother worked for a long time as a practice manager and a GP surgery. Anyway, the local bureaucracy decided they could save a lot of money by getting rid of the secretaries that typed the letters. Mm. So they duly got rid of the secretaries to type the letters and the doctors then had to type their own letters. So what they did next is the doctors then had to each have an afternoon a week to just type letters, not seeing patients. And they got a locum GP in to see the patients (laughs) at probably five times the cost of the secretary. So this is the nonsense that goes Mm. on. And that is the nonsense that goes on. And it also goes on in hospitals with agency nurses, doesn't it? Because they get rid of nurses or nurses leave for one reason or another. And they have to replace them with agency nurses that they have to pay about four times as much money to. And the whole, again, it comes back to that whole situation where I say constantly, the NHS needs reform. It just needs to be sorted out. It does. It does. And and, and part of the reason we have this terrible problem at the moment with this huge backlog of people not only that need treatment for their cancer, but haven't even had their diagnosis of mm. their cancer yet. They right. don't even know they have it yet. There's a huge um, disappeared group of people. 
that are still there. They still have cancer, but no one knows. They're mm. not being treated or monitored at right. all. And if we look, for instance, at Germany, even though they've got a huge increase in COVID cases, they've been through these waves before, like we have, they didn't tell everyone to stay at home. They didn't tell everyone to not bother their health service because they had enough capacity to be able to do that. We spend about the same amount as Germany now, GDP-wise, on our health service. The difference is they have far more beds than we do, mm. but they have far fewer managers than we do. Yeah. So they spend their money better. There's a funny thing. Well, that's a good note to end on. I wish we could learn from them because we don't seem to want to learn from anybody. Dr. Tony Hinton, thank you very much indeed. Consultant surgeon uh, knows a lot about the NHS, knows exactly what is wrong with it. Guys like Tony should be the ones in charge of fixing it, of reforming it, because you'll know as well as I do. Any kind of uh, interaction that you have with the NHS is almost likely, almost impossible uh, not to be delayed, um, not to be disappointing. I know some of you will tell me you've had good experiences, and that's great. Many people do, but an awful lot of people don't. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. It's 12.46. It's Friday. It's not very nice out there, but it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's not so busy in there as it was last time, but it's looking good. Plenty of compliance. <laughs> Well, I don't 99 know. 99 out of 100, know. I'd say. <laughs> well, yes, that's No, I true. think last time there was more people in there, so a lot more arms flailing yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. But Maybe never mind. we need to put another person in to yes. get the numbers up yeah, again. Yeah, there but, you are. Uh, well, welcome to the Perry Thank Awards. you very much. This is where we look back on the so-called Independent so Republic cool. of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. Yes. So, uh, oh, and it's a double rollover from last week. It is indeed, yes, because you were um, always to combat, as some people would say, or you were otherwise engaged last yes, week, weren't you? Yes, I was graduating. I, there were no Perriers at well the, Perry, uh, the Perry Awards, at the graduation ceremony, so that was always Did you get a cap good. and gown and all I that? I did, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen a picture. You've not asked. Well, I thought you'd post it. I mean, everybody puts everything on social media these yeah, days. Yeah, well, I've put one up, Did but you? it's a bit, it's a bit goofy. Is it? So, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'll have a look. Uh, yeah, I'll show you. Thank uh, you. So, uh, as is tradition, the mm. first Perry Award goes to you, Mr. Graham, Thank you. for not being able to count three words as requested. Seven <laughs> this time. Two words, Mike Graham. Three words from you. What you're doing on the show? So what? Are the two words I'm going to say. Just respect the NHS because that's what Sajid yep. Javid was. There you go. So I gave you two words and three words. You asked for two first. Respect the NHS. Well, respect the NHS is three words. Yeah. Right? Before that, she asked for two words. Oh, right. Okay. Which was so what? Yeah. So. <laughs> so what? So what? You've so done what? it. Right. You fair go. enough then. Yeah. Uh, so five words altogether. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so over to one of your many ha handovers with the one and only Ian Collins, who gets an award for the one liner of the week. This bloke anymore. Yeah. Is it COVID? Yeah. Is it corruption? Mm. Is it climate? Yeah. Because all three of those the things, three C's. regardless, indeed, yeah, or four if you include Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the, well, it could mean anything. It could. The, uh, so you've got three. That's very good, isn't it? Yes, it is. Very subtle. Very subtle yeah. indeed. I wonder what he could be talking about. but uh, Well, his name also begins with C. Collins. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say Jacob Rees-Mogg's. 
Name doesn't begin with no, a C. No, but, uh, but Ian Collins does. Yes, mm. yeah, that's true. Well done. That's true. Uh, Breakfast presenter Julie Hartley Brewer gets a Perry Award for the innuendo of the week. The time now, and uh, my pet's just arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Graham, good that's morning to you. That's quite a frightening idea, though, isn't it, really? There you can, sit, you now, can sit on my lap and I'll stroke there, you. There, there that sounded people, wrong. That, that didn't sound good at all. <laughs> Uh, and also that the sounds idea, like an HR the matter. The idea of putting some kind of dog lead on me as well. Oh, we're definitely in HR people. territory. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. could be a word. I'm not sure she really wants me to sit on her lap. No. I don't think she meant that. No. Well, I hope she didn't. Well. Anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, we'll uh, we'll not we'll not go to that one. No, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, Mike, another corker from you. Uh, mm. You mislabeled your show. Uh, however, um, not too far wrong, seeing as though uh, we're now a worldwide station. Mm. Uh, this is the Perrier for the close but not close enough award of the week. Video. Welcome back to the inter the International Republic. No, the Independent <laughs> and International Republic of Mike Graham. Nick DeBois here. He's got a couple of shows coming up at the weekend, which. We Yes. International. Well, we are international. Yeah. You know, we just spoke to Sebastian Gorka in Washington, D.C. We Yes, you we know, did. We yeah. are available in all countries of the world. We are. I'm not sure about China, though. Mm. They might have banned us. Yes, they yeah. might have, to mm. be fair. Yeah. Oh, well, you know. But maybe... it, I'd actually, probably not true, because we used to get, we had a guy in Wuhan that used to call in, didn't he? He used to listen to us. Oh. I yeah, we did. what happened to him. Where is he? Well, he's in Wuhan. <laughs> You know what's going on down well, there. Well, give us a call one day. Yeah. 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 Um, so Drive Time's political panel with uh, Dominique Samuels and Dam Dammer. Uh, Daryl Morris oh, yeah. uh, one day this week. Mm. Jeremy got a little overexcited and yes. dropped his pen. This is the Perry Award for the oopsie-daisy I dropped my pen award of the week. Who have been left behind in the last couple of decades? I'll drop my pen. Carry this on. Has, <laughs> this this has to happen. So enthusiastic. So enthusiastic if you become. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anything yeah, to put Daryl Morris off his stride. I'm all for that. Oh. <laughs> and wh why would that Drop be? Drop as many Mike? pens as you like. Oh, dear. He talks a lot of rubbish. That's oh. why. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it, would that be the. Uh... I was going to say, would that be the producers? But no, big love to Aaron. Big love. Nothing to do with Aaron, no. <laughs> no I'm joking. Uh, okay, so uh, Peter Cardwell uh, joined Ian Collins on air to have a little more chin wagging. Yes. Uh, but Cardi P collided with the camera. This is the Perry Award for the Watch Where You're Going Cardi P Award of the Week. To British hospitals and British laboratories up and down the country. You will find. <laughs> uh oh, that was an absolute Oops. blunder from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you will find. He's knocked it upwards. Uh, a... well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't Amazing. know. I think it could have been this. Or maybe he was underneath it then. Yeah. Because some uh... people come, they come up a bit too soon. Yes. You know, the old dive bomber technique. Yeah. You've got to make sure you get far enough along. Do you feel like you've mastered the technique now? Mike? I don't do it much because uh, when I come in, I get people to full screen me so that I don't have to do that. Ah. Oh. So he hasn't learned that trick yet, has oh, he? Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Maybe maybe Cardi P needs a bit more authority and be like, listen, yeah. I'm not... Not for me to say. No, 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 absolutely. Uh, so a feature that has taken the UK by storm mm. is your shortage of the day. It's good, isn't it? It is. I like I, it a I lot. I think people really like it. Obviously, you know, open to opinions. So if people have shortages somewhere in the UK, yeah. we're more than willing to take them. Uh, seems to be a shortage of audio in the studio. This <laughs> is the Perry Award for the shortage of sound award of the week. Shortage of the day coming next. So let's have a look and see what's on those shelves. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, there's a shortage of sound, apparently. <laughs> there's no sound. How there does wasn't that work? sound. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing how you if can you play... If you wanted a shortage of sound, you couldn't get one. But apparently there's a shortage of sound. So maybe I'll have to change one of my shortages to make it a shortage of sound. Or can we try again? There you go. Tremendous. What were you saying? It's amazing how you can... Well, it's amazing how you can play something out, but it doesn't have any sound. Yes. Even though you wouldn't think it could be possible to do that. Well, I don't know. I think sometimes these things happen sometimes. Well, they definitely I think, do. I think it was me, but... Uh, oh, was it you? you? I mean, I'll, I'll Well, there take... shouldn't have been Incompetence of the Week. I then. mean, Incompetence of the Week, but Incompetence yes. Report. Yes, absolutely. The James Larvin Award. <laughs> hey? Absolutely. Uh, so, Mike, you spoke to Taxpayers Alliance early in the week, mm. who was reacting to Boris' proposed ban on lobbying. Uh, now, this guest has been on the show before, and she knows full well that your name's Mike. Yeah. Uh, but this is the Perry Award for the <clears throat> wrong namer of the week. Danielle, very good morning to you. Good morning, Graham. Mike, you can call me if you like, or I'll just call you Boxall, shall I? Yeah. Now, listen, Boxall, I'm not having any of that from you. Listen, let's talk about... (laughs) It's funny how people do that. Yes. Mm. Listen, Graham. Maybe she's nervous. Yes. Um, Ian Collins has a moment as he was overpetered. This is the Perry Award for the Confused.com Award of the Week. I talked to... Um, are we talking to Peter now? Are we? We are going to just talk. Are we going to Pete? No, no, there's two Peters here. One on the phone. There's Peter sitting opposite me. <laughs> We're going to Peter Cargwell's going to be with us in a few moments. Peter in Cheshire is here yeah. just to confuse things. It's a a plethora of Peters. Peter. Good afternoon, Peter. No, don't be Peterist. Ian. I do apologise. I've, I've been I've been that. reprimanded for this behaviour before. So. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yes. And finally, Jeremy Kyle gets interrupted live on air. Mm. This is the Perry Award for the Interruption of the Week. We have. She's a beacon of, you know, all the great things about the UK. Sorry, that's industry. my daughter trying to FaceTime me whilst I'm on the radio. Watch this. <laughs> um, I'm actually in the middle of a link. You're, yes, you're, you're, on the, you're on the television. Bye. Bye. You quickly got rid that's of her what, before she started swearing. Yeah. Sorry, carry that's on. That's one all for my technical difficulties. Yeah, the absolutely. Oh. That's that. That's great, isn't it? When yeah. people ring you when you're on the radio, yeah, who should I'm, know better? Exactly. I mean, I have that problem all the time, Mike. To be quite honest, well, you that's know. because you answer the phones. <laughs> very good. Thank very you. good. I'm here. You're here all week. Anyway, uh, no. that's that's all for the Perry Awards. There will be more next week. Thank you very much. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.